0: Today I'm sharing with you some incredible stories of amazing eco-warriors. My name is Valentina and welcome to my Life Without Plastic. Hello, hello, my eco-family. Welcome back to another episode I've been gone for some time now. Honestly, I just really had to take a break from social media, distance myself from technology, and just really do some soul searching. (laughs) I know, I know, it sounds so cliche, but I really feel refreshed coming back to my podcast with so many new ideas of what episodes I want to record. And I feel like a lot of things were just going on and I was just stuck in a place where I could not prioritize what was really important to me, this podcast, and so I really had to do some deep reflecting and kind of reprioritize my life. But here I am again, ready to share so many findings with you. Um, A couple of quick updates before I get started with this week's episode, though. As you see, this episode is live on a Monday, and I'm planning to start posting on Mondays instead of Tuesdays from now on. I just feel like Mondays are a fresh beginning. You know, it's the beginning of the week, and I really think it's the perfect day for me to put my content out there in the world. I really want to normalize uh, making Mondays a little more... um, Not as boring and dreading, but I want to normalize Mondays being more exciting. And I know that's hard, (laughs) trust me, I've been dreading Mondays for such a long time. But I'm working on changing that mindset of mine about it, so I welcome you on my journey to do so as well. I hope that my episodes can help you find Mondays a little more amusing in a way, And the other thing that I wanted to share with you is that I'm also going to try to post snippets of the episodes on YouTube and also my Instagram um, of any highlights that we explore together. I feel like it's nice to have those to look back at rather than having to go through a 45 minutes episode again. Um, So that's coming up as well. Stay tuned for those. And um, I'm going to start with this episode, but I will also fill in with some highlights from previous episodes. So um, if you've missed some of my episodes, you can also just check out some of the snippets that I'll be posting in the upcoming weeks to kind of catch up on the different topics we've talked about so far. And um, I know I've said it before, but this time I mean it. I am making a schedule and I will be making it my mission to stick to a weekly schedule and coming to you with weekly new episodes. Um, and you guys need to hold me accountable too. I will hold myself accountable. But um, definitely stay tuned because I've got lots of interesting topics for you. Lots of conspiracy. Tea. <laughs> okay. But uh, enough about all of these updates and all of that catching up. Uh, what is today's episode about, right? Uh, well, today's episode, of course, is about International Women's Day. Today is March 8th, and we're celebrating International Women's Day. So of course, I wanted to make sure that I that I highlight how women have fought for the environment, Um, over the course of so many years. Um, So I found some really interesting stories that I wanted to share with you. And of course, we're going to leave the conspiracy for last, the best days for last. Uh, But I do want to disclose something before we jump into all those stories. This episode will not feature Greta. Um, I really want to shed light to women who have not really gotten the attention of the press, but have never stopped fighting for what they believe in. So just a little heads up there. I really didn't want to make it a cliche. I know she's been in the news um, for a couple of years now and obviously has has um, motivated so many activists to join uh, forces and fight for this cause. But I wanted to show you guys how many other more, I guess, average women are out there, people that don't get so much um, press light uh, and they don't live in the press as much, um, they don't get as many articles published about them, but they still have such an amazing and incredible impact on this very, very difficult cause. So just wanted to disclose that before we jump into the stories. Um, but yeah, let's get right into them. So, the first story is about a woman named Isatu Sisei. She's also known in the Gambia as the Queen of Plastic. Isatu has been empowering women there to recycle plastic waste, the country's biggest pollutant, for 17 years. Along with four other women, uh, she initiated a recycling project called One Plastic Bag in 1998, near her native village, which aimed to educate communities on the necessity to reclaim waste and turn it into revenue. Every week, members of the Women Initiative, the Gambia, produce craft wallets, bags, and balls for children using the reclaimed plastic bags, which they cut, knit, and sew. The group has amassed more than two thousand members in forty different communities throughout the country. With many communities now opting to use paper bags in local stores. So, um, a little bit about her background: Isato grew up in Njiao with two sisters and a brother. Her parents were farmers, and as a girl, Isato used bits of waste like scraps of cloth and wood to make dolls and other toys and obviously this made her very popular with her friends because children in her village didn't have many things to play with so she was a bright girl who loved learning and always came um, near the top of her class sadly her father died when she was only 10 years old and her mother was left to support the family all on her own Isatu desperately wanted to go to high school, but her mother couldn't afford to send her. She needed Isatu to work to bring money into the home. And this wasn't unusual. Actually, in the Gambia, um, an estimated 75% of children do not have access to proper education. So Isato stayed in in Anjou taking jobs and making, you know, selling things, just kind of making money here and there wherever she could. But she didn't give up on her passion for learning. She realized um, that she would have to find her own way of getting the education that she had missed out on. When she was only 20 years old, she sold the cow that she had inherited from her father when he died and used that money to attend Gambia Technical Training Institute in the capital city. And um, there she trained as a secretary. After she got that education, she returned home and she became a volunteer with the US Peace Corps, uh, seeing this as a chance to get more training while helping her community. It was tough um, to get that position and to go through this, but through this experience, she learned about the possibilities of recycling waste, Uh, knowledge that would change her life as you already got a glimpse of it, and the lives of so many others, not just in her local village, but beyond. Um, Isatu's sisters had taught her how to crochet, and this gave her an idea for how to upcycle the plastic bags that were causing so many problems, changing them from waste into something valuable. She would turn them into purses, That could be sold to make money. Uh, She also persuaded five friends to join her to form a new women's club. And together they collected bags from the rubbish pile. Washed them and dried them out. Then uh, that first afternoon beneath the tree... They carefully cut each bag into long continuous thread of plastic several centimeters wide called plarn, which stands for plastic yarn. With this, they started to crochet small purses um, for coins using different colored plarn to add pretty patterns. It took eight hours or more to make one purse, and it used up to around 10 plastic bags. The women were delighted with what they had made. However, this didn't come easy. Some men did not like to see the women working um, right there in public. Women were expected to take care of their homes and families while the men went out to work. And these men were afraid that the women would learn to no longer obey their husbands. Issa to move the meetings to her house, where she and her friends could gather at night to chat and crochet purses by candlelight. They worked secretly for months until they had enough purses. Then Isatu took these to a market in the city and managed to sell them all. The city women loved them because they were so unusual, so unique. It was something they had never seen before. So the women continued um, with their tiny business, now also making shoulder bags, cosmetic purses, and many more. Many of them were earning money for the first time and they were able to use it to buy food to help their families through the hungry gap, the three months in the year when there were few crops from their farmland. Their husbands now noticed how their families' lives were improving and encouraged their wives to now actually continue with their purse making. The women no longer worked in secret and soon others joined them. Within a year, Isatu's community recycling project had grown to 50 women, and she named it the Njiao Recycling and Income Generation Group. And there were other ways they could help the environment too. People usually burn charcoal for fuel, and this was made from trees cut down from the local forest the women found a way to combine old coconut husks, mango leaves, and dried grass to make briquettes. Uh, these burned just as well as charcoal, but were cheaper and saved trees. So they started to sell those alongside their upcycled crafts as well. Soon, the women had run out of plastic bags and other useful waste in Njau, uh which I have to say is not a bad problem to have. <laughs> so they started to collect these from neighboring villages and shared their knowledge about plastic and upcycling with the people there. And as you see, this kind of created a rippling effect where more and more women around the country from different communities started started joining forces and joining on this project. Uh, definitely, it did not happen overnight. It took Many years of hard work and dedication. But look where they're at now, right? So, what I'm trying to say is don't be telling me one person can't make a difference. And I'm not only talking about Isato here, right? Like, yes, Isato had an amazing idea. She was innovative. She taught outside the box. And not everyone can come up with amazing ideas of how to help the environment, not everyone can create the next best technology to clean up the environment, or the next best product to support the environment. But look at all of these other women that supported her. Everyone can find a way to contribute, and even the smallest contribution will support the bigger cause. So I hope the story shows you that. I hope the story shows you that, you know, you don't have to be the one to come up with the idea. You can join on a cause and have, just as much impact on this cause. Um, I think that it's incredible how she, how Isatu motivated all of these women to, of course, not only help the environment, but help them financially as well. Because in the end of the day, we're talking about a rather poor community where women were not really empowered to even work. They kind of just depended on their husbands. And now we're seeing those empowered women making money, and really killing it, Um, saving the environment like true (laughs) eco-warriors. Talking about eco-warriors, the next one is just probably the definition of it. If you think of an eco-warrior, that's probably her. Um, Sylvia Earle. Not sure if you guys have heard of it, but she is a pretty big deal um, and has a really cool nickname, which I'm going to get to in a little bit. Uh, so, But let me first summarize what she's done. She's best known for her research on marine algae and her books and documentaries on the threats of overfishing and ocean pollution. She's an oceanographer And she's been at the forefront of exploration for more than four decades. She pioneered the use of scuba diving uh, equipment and holds the world record for the deepest, untethered dive. Yes, can you imagine that? She has led numerous underwater expeditions which have taken her to the Galapagos Islands, China, and the Bahamas. She launched Mission Blue in 2009, which was created to build a global coalition to improve ocean protection measures and restore the health of the ocean. But how did she get there, right? Like what motivated her to get to where she got and to achieve all of these amazing things? Well, Sylvia was born August 30th 1935 which means that she is 85 years old and still looking like a million bucks (laughs) I guess I gotta start scuba diving or something because look at her I want to look like her one day Well, she was born in New Jersey, but her family moved to the western coast of Florida during her childhood. And Sylvia received an associate degree from St. Petersburg Junior College. Then she continued with a bachelor's of science degree from Florida State University. And lastly, a master's um, of science and a doctorate of psychology. Yes, it's called Phycology, which is basically the study of algae from Duke University. So to be honest, I think it's great seeing what education they've gotten as well, right? Sometimes we think we have to go to Harvard to be able to change the world. But look at Isatu, right? Literally, she could not even go to high school. And Sylvia, she started her education at a community college. I think that even, you know, sometimes people think... Just because they're not going to one of those famous universities, they let their education limit their dreams and passions of what they can accomplish and bring to the world. So I hope this shows you that you can literally go to a community college and still dream big and still have passion for certain things and follow that passion and make something out of it. Um... Also, the reason I'm pointing out that she moved to Florida is because I want to emphasize where that passion for marine life may have come from. It's no secret that every year here in Florida, we fight against terrible algae blooms. And I'm going to read a quote from her real quick. I had a chance to get acquainted with spiky sea urchins, little tiny seahorses that live in the grass meadows she recalls, and so she tried scuba diving. The weightlessness was so entrancing that they had to practically haul me out of the water. (laughs) So embarking on her first research voyage in 1964, five years later, Earl applied for NASA's ambitious Tit project, which was going to send scientists down to live in the seafloor for weeks at a time. And despite having racked up more hours underwater than the male scientists who applied, she was rejected. Why? The organizers couldn't really envision the concept of men and women cohabiting in isolation for so long. So that's why they denied her. And refusing to accept defeat, Sylvia came up with an alternative. In the summer of 1970, she led Tektit 2. Mission 6, an all-female expedition of aquanauts, who spent two weeks on the seafloor living close to a coral reef. Recording observations and snapping photographs, their findings were subsequently published. And the more instantaneous result, though, was not just their findings, but was the public's reaction to the actual mission. When Sylvia and her colleagues emerged, they were celebrated. Um, They were basically all of a sudden celebrities who, you know, became super famous pretty much overnight, far beyond the spheres of the scientific community, showered with attention, awards, and so on. They were even given a reception at the White House. And this is when Sylvia realized that she could use her unique platform to inspire women. She wanted women to take action, and she wanted women to take actions publicly. In 1979, she walked, untethered, 1250 feet below sea level on the floor of the Pacific Ocean, the lowest any human had gone. In the 1980s, she founded a company aimed at making technologically advanced submersive vehicles, and in the 90s, she became the first female chief scientist at the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, where she was responsible for monitoring the health of the ocean. Life in the ocean is endlessly fascinating. Imagine what it's like to go where you have a mile of water over your head. It's dark. But it's beautiful, she says. So a fun fact, Sylvia earned the nickname Her Deepness after that very deep walk she did. (laughs) And again, another amazing story that I personally was really, really inspired by. Um, And also it kind of proves that we need to stop believing in fairy tales, right? Isatu didn't live a picture-perfect life. Sylvia had her own share of struggles trying to succeed in a male-dominated field, but both, in the end, did not give up and continued fighting for what they love. So, this is another lesson to keep on pushing. If you are passionate about something, don't give up on it. Keep on pushing. Literally, it took Sylvia years to be able to get to slightly where she wanted to be, where she had envisioned herself to be at. Um so don't give up. Don't give up on any of your dreams. This is what I'm trying to do as well with this podcast. I took a very long break, but I didn't want to just scrap it. I I really enjoy talking to all of you and sharing all of these amazing stories. Sometimes we're our own biggest limitation and we need to overcome our own habit of being comfortable. We need to push beyond our comfort zone to achieve all of those great things that we're meant to achieve. Um, And again, when I talk about all great things we're meant to achieve, I'm not necessarily saying all of us need to come up with amazing ideas. Sometimes it's really about just supporting what's already out there, right? All right. (laughs) So um, I have one more story that I wanted to share, actually. And This time, it's not going to be about one single person. Um, Obviously, the stories of Isato and Sylvia were super inspiring, so I definitely wanted to go into details about their lives as well. But I wanted to also share the achievements by a couple of different ladies. And why? Well, I think that sometimes there's a misconception that in order for you to fight for the environment, you must drop everything else and become an environmental advocate. Uh, Unless you're an activist, you cannot achieve it. (laughs) And this is not really true. I want to show you how these women were able to fight for what they love, the environment, by using their own profession to their advantage. They didn't have to quit their jobs. They didn't have to make that big of a change. Instead, they used what they had to focus on what they were passionate about. So let's start with the first one. And uh, those are going to be super short snippets, definitely not going into great details like the previous two stories. So just hang tight. Uh, First one is Kochakorn Varakom. Kochakorn. We'll just call her Kochakorn. So as a child, she liked to pry apart cracked pavements to let seedlings burst through Bangkok's sprawl. Now, the landscape architect designs park-sized cracks to help Southeast Asia's megacities cope with climate change. Last year, her 11-acre project at Chulalongkorn University was Bangkok's first new public park in 30 years. And won awards for its innovative design, which adds much-needed green lungs, as they call it, to a dense metropolis and absorbs and reuses excess water, plaguing Thailand's capital. One of the locations most at risk from worsening storms, floods, and sea level rise. This year, she will open a 36-acre plot with the capability of storing more than 2.5 million gallons of water. Her social enterprise, the Poros City Network, champions green interventions like these thirsty parks, as well as urban farming, green roofs, and canal restoration to help vulnerable communities in Southeast Asia adapt to the coming deluge. So she's an architect, a landscape architect, and she's been able to turn her profession into pretty much a weapon to fight climate change and pollution, rising sea levels, and so on. So um, this is just one example of how you don't have to be an activist um, to necessarily drop everything you're doing and just focus on this one passion you have the environment but she's taking her profession being an architect she's taking architecture and using it to her advantage to help the environment And I know you may be thinking, okay, but architecture is a little bit easier to adapt because obviously, especially landscape architect, we're we're talking about parks and nature and bringing nature into cities. So it's a little more of a natural um, development, maybe you could say. But this next one, for example, her name is Anne Simpson. She works in finance. And she was still able to find a way to support the environment, even through the finance sector. So when it comes to transitioning the world of fossil fuels, monkey talks, says okay. <laughs> Ann Simpson, Director of Global Governance at CalPERS, California's public pension fund. Simpson should know. Her employer ranks among the world's largest public funds, and she has used the sway that comes with CalPERS more than $350 billion in investments to urge change. Early victories include pushing some of the world's biggest companies to disclose the risk climate change poses to their businesses. And to extend her reach, uh, Simpson helps lead climate action. 100+, an investor-led initiative to engage in behind-the-scenes negotiations to demand the world's 100 biggest greenhouse gas emitters change, to change their ways. It's prompt companies like mining giants um, to cap coal production and oil and gas major Shell to commit to emission reduction targets. To Simpson, investor activism is simply good business sense. There is no business that can function without a healthy ecosystem, she says. So, as you see, another sector that Non, may not necessarily uh, be directly related to the environment, but through finance, she was still able to help fight for this cause. And one more um, lady that I would like to bring to your attention, Tessa Khan. Um, in 2015, she was living in Northern Thailand and working on behalf of a women's human rights Nonprofit. when news of a district court case more than 5,000 miles away caught her attention. A court in the Hague had ruled in favor of some 900 Dutch citizens and a group known as the Urgenda Foundation, which had sued the Netherlands, demanding that the state reduce its greenhouse gas emissions. Can realized the courts could be a powerful tool to uh, fight climate change, and in the process, mitigate what she calls one of the biggest systematic threats to international human rights. She moved to London and joined Orgenda, Ur- uh, where she now provides legal assistance to people around the world who want to take governments to court over inadequate climate policies. She says she hopes um, the cases draw attention to the actions governments need to take to reduce the use of fossil fuels and to show how ordinary people will be impacted by climate change. So, law. Another area where you can use your profession, for sure, to fight for the environment. So, you see, helping the environment does not mean having to change everything about yourself. Um, really, it simply means reevaluating your priorities and using what you already have to your advantage to fight for this cause. Whether you're thrifting clothes, joining community cleanup events, or inventing the next big technology to fight pollution, you are an eco-warrior. And every little effort counts. Don't forget that. Every small step has a ripple effect and can become something so much bigger than you have ever imagined. All right, let's get to the final segment of today's episode. This is what you've all been waiting for. I know it. So let's spill some hot conspiracy tea. (laughs) So... This is not really a conspiracy. I wouldn't call it a conspiracy. You'll see what I mean in a second. Um, This time I'm presenting something I found in various articles that I found, let's just say intriguing um, as an opinion. Like always, please take what I present with a grain of salt. Um, the sources are definitely not verified and the information from those articles I present is not necessarily factual. So I'm just putting these thoughts out there and I'll let you judge for yourself. My goal with this segment is to really shed some light to more controversial opinions and hopefully intrigue you to do, you know, some more research on your own on these topics. But what is the topic today for the conspiracy tea section. So this entire episode, we've talked about how women have positively impacted the environment, but I found various articles that highlighted how climate change leads to more violence against women. The article says, rape, domestic violence, Forced marriages. A new study shows the effects of climate change are leading to an increase in violence against girls and women in many corners of the world. So, this is the story of Ntoya Sande. She was 13 years old when she got married against her will. I was sent to be married because of a shortage of food in the house, she said. Her parents used to have a small piece of land, but floods wiped out their harvest. I tried to negotiate to tell my parents that I wasn't ready, that I didn't want to get married, but they told me that I had to, because that would mean one mouth less at the table. Sande lives in Malawi's Nsanje province. Her story is one of thousands of cases highlighted in a recent study from the International Union for Conservation of Nature. Two years in the making, the report is the largest and most comprehensive study to date on the effects of climate change and environmental degradation on gender-based violence. This study shows us that the damage um, humanity is inflicting on nature can also fuel violence against women around the world, a link that has so far been largely overlooked, said Gretel Aguilar, um, who is the acting director general at this place so the study adds to the urgency of halting environmental degradation alongside action to stop gender-based violence in all its forms malawi isn't the only place where minors are being married against their will to help their families uh, survive climate disasters according to the study girls in ethiopia and south sudan are also being sold off in marriage um, during extreme drought in exchange for cattle. Julian Schmucker, the original director for Asia at humanitarian organization Plan International, said the rate of child and forced marriages uh, basically increases in crisis situations. It's simply a survival strategy to get rid of a daughter, to relieve the pressure of the family, and it's the only way to generate income, she told. W, uh, dw okay so the article goes on and on i'm gonna publish it um on my blog as well so if you want to like read through it you can go for it or you can just search for that topic and you're literally gonna find tens of t- a lot of articles um on that same topic so the reason i wanted to include these stories in this week's comparison segment is because we're talking about some very big social injustices and issues, um, and they're pinpointing climate change as the reason. Is it possible for climate change to be responsible for all of those injustices? And is it fair to blame climate change for all of it? Or do we need to, t- to take a deeper look into other issues with those governments and societies? Um, now, I. I'm not going to go into details about my personal point of view. I want you guys to draw um, your own conclusions out of it. The articles definitely, I've read a couple of them, and they all definitely pinpoint climate change as the reason why violence against women has increased uh, in different parts of the world, why so many young girls are continuously being sold off and married um, forcefully, and one explanation of how climate change could be responsible for the violence women experience, those articles point out, is the growing resource scarcity. So with increasing drought and desertification in the global south, more and more water sources and wells are dying up. And fetching water is often a woman's job. Um, this is literally something I'm reading from the article. And if women are forced to walk further for the water, the risk of sexual assault also increases. <laughs> okay, I need, to, I need to repeat this. Fetching water is often a woman's job. And if they're forced to walk further for the water, the risk of sexual assault also increases. So we're saying that climate change is at fault for growing resource scarcity, okay? And then we say that women have to walk further and now they're more exposed to sexual assault risks. As a conclusion, climate change is the cause. I just think that it sounds a little bit more like an excuse and not a cost to me. Um, I don't think we can justify sexual assault with climate change. I understand the thought behind it. But it's just too simple to strip away um, all other factors and blame it on one thing. I can see how scarcity um, of resources can be a reason for something like marrying off your children way too young because you can't care for them. But simply saying that all that violence happens because of climate change, I think it's not fair, especially for the survivors of those assaults. How do you think it feels? It feels like being told you were assaulted because climate change made you walk further to get to water. We're literally talking about a necessity, getting water. That should not be um, a threat to any woman out there. Um, It's an actual human and the systematic failures of governments that are guilty for those violences. Yes, climate change may play a role in reducing, you know... um, Having scarcity of different resources and making it more difficult for uh, families and people in general around the world to get by um, and find those resources. But that should not be an excuse to justify violence against women and say climate change is responsible for it. No, a human being is responsible for it. A human being assaulted a woman. Not climate change, so um, I just think that sometimes in in the attempt to highlight this topic, in the attempt to emphasize the importance of it, we kind of try to just pinpoint a lot of things um as a cause of it without thinking that there's so many things that go into it. It's a very complex issue, very complex social injustice um and I just think that it deserves more attention and deserves more thought than just pinpointing one thing. But what do you think? Do you think that so many women are suffering for the very cost they're fighting for? Like we we saw women are just so um, so much at the forefront of fighting for the environment. Um, and now I'm sharing with you this other side that some people say climate change actually creates uh, causes more violence against women. Um, do you agree with blaming cl- climate change for for the violence against women? Um, let me know what you think. I would really love to hear guys' thoughts. Um, I think that, you know, I love this podcast being just so open-minded and kind of a middle ground for people, not having to pick one extreme side, but kind of rationally talk through all of these social injustices and issues. And just see both sides so just let me know what you think maybe you do agree that climate change is just um such a big cause for that increased violence against women or maybe you think that you know there's other factors that um result in violence against women as well and you know i I don't want to end this episode on a negative note i know that this was um kind of like Sad story. Um, obviously, just talking about all of these girls um, getting married so young, just because their families can't provide for them, and women having to risk their lives for something so essential as getting water. Um, so I want you guys to remember also all of the positive stories that I shared with you today, the incredible motivational stories of these women who fought and didn't give up and just continue fighting for the cause and for what they're passionate about. I really hope today's episode motivated you to keep fighting for what you love, or maybe to see some things different and start taking actions. It was really important to me to highlight stories of women who don't get the spotlight in the press as often as they should. And to show you how every little action really matters. So, stay tuned for next next week's episode. Uh, We'll talk about plastic. (laughs) Should you be avoiding it 100%? Should you still use it? Is plastic the real enemy? What is the conspiracy? (laughs) Well, you'll have to stay tuned till next week to find out. See y'all then. Bye!